from a manufacturing standpoint and getting a marijuana license carries a lot of responsibility in, in terms of providing essentially a drug product in a food form, which is very difficult. On the other hand, a lot of regulation is is slowing the development of this industry, and it is primarily driven by the concern about competing with pharmaceutical drugs. Mary Mulry, food scientist and our own favorite geek, holds our hands as we navigate the new world of cannabis. Let's get geeky on one-on-one. This is Cornucopia. Cornucopia, let's just jump right in. In a recent San Francisco Chronicle story, the San Francisco City Health Department had listed a number of concerns regarding the new recreational marijuana laws. These were all in regards to personal usage, responsibility of individuals in using weed. I want to talk to you about responsibility of manufacturers in this regard, what they're doing, what they need to do in order to provide consistent, safe products. Good manufacturing practices are an official set of practices that is regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, uh, but they are used in the cannabis industry even though uh, the cannabis industry is not regulated typically uh, by the federal government, but only by the state governments. And each state government also has some requirements, but the uh, term used is good manufacturing practices, or GMPs, which are a set of practices and regulations that are related to primarily food safety. Let's start out, explain good manufacturing practices if I'm making a soda. Well, it, it covers everything from the facility that you make the product in and actually even the outside of the facility to make sure there's not brush and, and plants that might harbor rodents or whatever. So it includes plants and grounds. It includes how to clean utensils, how to clean the facility. You know, are all the personnel, uh, do they wash their hands? Are they wearing hairnets and lab coats? Uh, are they not sick? You know, there's, there's, there's lots and lots of detail in good manufacturing practices. Basically, for the cannabis industry, what is needed in addition, and this is required uh, depending on the state, there's different detailed requirements, is that the safety and potency of the product is also controlled. Uh, in, in a sense, this is a drug delivery system. Uh, rather than just a, a food product or an edible. It is a system in which to uh, deliver cannabis, typically cannabis oil or a combination of oils in a format that is more acceptable to people than either smoking or vaping. Uh, all of the requirements to making a, a regular soda would have to be followed in addition the safety and potency of the incoming raw material would need to be tested for things like heavy metals, pesticides, microbial contam- potential microbial contamination, 
then throughout the process, different uh, parameters need to be monitored, such as pH, let's say, in a soda, to make sure that it'll be stable at room temperature. And then the finished product uh, must be tested uh, for potency, individual potency, uh, in other cases, if it's a, uh, like in Colorado, a product that has multiple items within a package, like a gummy or a mint, uh, they will label the total amount in the package, which for recreational use is limited to 100 milligrams per package. So I uh, am a fan of a brand that makes a chocolate-covered espresso bean. The chocolate, it's, uh, it's infused with, I presume, cannabis oil. The size of the beans will vary, and the potency on the tin of the beans is listed for the entire package. Anecdotally, sometimes it seems I will eat a small bean and get a little more of a buzz off it, and may eat a larger bean and get less of a buzz off it. Obviously, there's a lot of bio-individual factors going into the experience of it, but if I'm looking at a bottle of scotch and I see it's 40 proof, is there a comparable ability for consumers to understand and what the uh, manufacturers are doing to ensure that that is consistent across batches, across uh, different, you know, different tins of beans, if you will? Yeah, the, the regulation of the total package, I would say, is pretty well controlled because everyone knows that they have to test to make sure that they're within that 100 milligram, you know, plus or minus whatever the acceptable range is. Um, in my experience with consulting with these companies, they have uh, varying knowledge about what I would call individual piece-to-piece -piece variation. So I had a similar experience with a gummy in which I bought a package of gummies, and they were supposed to be uh, 10 milligrams a piece. You know, there were um, 10 of them in a, in a tube. And I had widely varying experiences from gummy to gummy. Uh, I found out was the cannabis oil was sprayed on the outside of the gummies, which is very, very difficult to control. Uh, to have, okay, 10 milligrams exactly in every piece. And so there are a number of companies that underestimate the fact that food is variable when you make it. So, for example, your chocolate uh, coffee bean example, chocolate-covered coffee bean example, not every bean's going to get the same amount of chocolate necessarily. Yep. And also making sure that you've done the testing up front to uh, validate that the chocolate itself is homogeneous in terms of the amount of cannabis from the start of the batch to the end of the batch. Many of these products are made in, in what I call small batches. If you were to compare... Uh, the manufacturing of these products to, you know, say uh, Cheerios or something like that. These are typically in commercial kitchens and in, in what I call hand batches. There's not a lot of automation. When you do that, you tend to have more variation piece to piece. However, if you do your validation of your process properly, 
and do the testing, you can assure that each gummy would have five milligrams plus or minus, you know, a tenth or uh, it's possible to do. But that means that up front, before you actually market the product, there's a lot of upfront work to be done, consistency piece to piece. And I have to say that that knowledge is is still variable depending on the manufacturer, uh, depending on the sophistication of their scientific staff. A lot of these products, you know, somebody made in their kitchen, you know, or has been making it for years, and they, they scaled it up to send it out to dispensaries without a lot of scientific rigor, what I call validation of the process, which you don't typically have to do with food products. Are the measurements around the potency pretty standard and uniform? There are different methods for different types of products. If you look at the history of this industry, it's relatively easy to measure a flour product or in a extracted oil. Those those are relatively easy uh, analyses, and there's a number of labs who have been in business for a long time, particularly in the states where there's been medical marijuana legal for a long time. A number of cannabis labs, and they can measure uh, material, you know, flour and oil, very, very, and resin, very uh, reproducibly. Food and edibles are much more sophisticated in terms of extraction of the material uh, from the food matrix. And there's very few labs in my experience so far in the cannabis industry that have a lot of experience with how do you develop a methodology that uh, takes into account uh, appropriate extraction techniques and validation of that method. Uh, there are accepted um, methods for cannabinoid analysis, uh, both what's called high-performance liquid chromatography, HPLC, or gas chromatography, GC, and those have been used for a long period of time. When you get a brownie, let's say, where the cannabis typically is in the butter within the brownie, then it's more complicated to extract that butter component and all of the cannabinoids that are in that component and measure them accurately and reproducibly. So one of the issues for the industry is developing uh, the expertise to extract uh, the material from a, a food matrix reliably. Say I have a 10-quart pan. I'm a rather small-batch mm -hmm. cannabis food manufacturer. What does extract that thing around the food matrix mean in terms of that process? Can you explain that a little more for us lay people? Well, it's not... It's not the extraction part is not the concern when you're making the product. When you're making the product, the concern is, did I get all that oil reproducibly uh, mixed into the butter, you know, before I made the brownie? Then did I use, then did I get the butter, you know, reproducibly mixed throughout the brownie so that my brownie piece to piece variation is minimal? What I was referring to is when you want to label Okay, I've got 10 milligrams per brownie. I've got to send it to a laboratory that has to have the expertise to be able to extract gotcha. that oil and butter from the brownie in a reliable, scientifically validated ways. And there, and there, there are standard methodologies. You know, you spike the material and you show that you can extract 
you know, spi the spiked material, and there's ways, there's also standards that the laboratories use. But it is, it is a tricky uh, process to find a laboratory that can do uh, that analytical work reliably, and the entire industry relies on that for manufacturing a quality product. You have to have the ability to establish an accurate potency of the material going into your product, and then you have to be able to show that you are labeling the material properly at the end. And that's the same for dietary supplements and all the different herbal products. Um, and it, it's, it's just that this is not as predictable as alcohol. The issue with uh, cannabis is that, number one, there's a huge variation in tolerance, and particularly the consumers that the industry is looking to bring into the market are consumers who may not have had cannabis, you know, if you look at the baby boomers, many baby boomers stopped using marijuana yeah. <laughs> as they aged, and now they're you know, they're in their 60s and they're going, oh, I've got some aches and pains, I'd like to use cannabis, um, and they find their tolerance uh, is, is quite low. Yeah, it's a lot different from uh, those days so when we yeah. clean, the, uh, clean the seeds out of the weed using the double album of Fleetwood Mac and take the rolling papers and kind <laughs> exactly. of sort it out. Right, and the strains of cannabis uh, are quite different than they were uh, back when I was in, in college, for example. And that's why you see the dosages going down on the recreational marijuana uh, products. They started out, you know, around 10 milligrams per piece, and now you see two and a half milligrams so that people can also basically titrate their own uh, usage so they might be able to eat a mint and still be at work versus, you know, I'm going to take three mints or four mints when I'm in a social situation where I want to, um, you know, what I call take a vacation versus, you know, be still functional. So everyone has to determine what those levels are um, for, that, for them personally, for their metabolism. And it's also edibles are um, also difficult because there's a variable onset time onset so we've all heard the story of okay i waited an hour and nothing happened so no. i took another one <laughs> and then when they both hit it's too much um and that has given a lot of i'll call lightweight people a bad experience that they don't want to trust edibles uh so you know it's up to manufacturers to educate people that there's an onset time that can vary just like food and alcohol um if you have alcohol on a full stomach you have a very different experience than if you have it on an empty stomach and that's the same with with cannabis consumers need to be educated hey these are great tasting and you know they're they're an easy convenient way to carry but you have to learn what your tolerance level is and then how to appropriately use the product all right, we're back with another reminder. Rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. Sign up for our email list at cornucopia.show. And we need your stories, folks. We're launching a new segment in January called Grocery Hell, inspired by my own true life 
nightmares as a wholesale grocery rep with a mediocre distributor. We want to hear from you, soccer moms, truck drivers, store managers, cashiers, sales reps, regional managers. Send us your nightmares to contact at cornucopia.show. Put grocery hell in the subject line, and we'll get back to you whether or not we feel your story really was grocery hell, or you just need to toughen up, drink some more coffee, and stop being so emo. So can you talk a little bit about any differences in terms of testing and uh, good manufacturing practices around products geared towards people who have more severe medical conditions? In the the original medical marijuana legalization, there were a number of products that were developed that uh, were, you know, 75 to 150 milligrams, which would put me out for a couple of weeks. And, Mayor, you're talking about people that might be on chemo or? Well, it depends. People who um, regularly use high dosages of marijuana uh, for, let's say, pain or for chemo or for some of these other uh, indications, uh, because they've been using high dosages, uh, they're able to function with much higher, you know, much higher dosages in their system. And uh, so anyway, those products are actually made the same and have the same testing issues. It's just that uh, because the tolerance is so much higher amongst that population, they, they have less of a tendency to have a, a bad reaction. And, the, and those dosages, because they're easier to measure, you know, the, the more you have in a product, the easier it is to, to measure it. Those tend to have, you know, fewer issues. But again, I think the big opportunity for the industry is in the recreational market or for people who want lower dosages. They may have, I'll call them minor aches and pains, um, as opposed to some of the people that I've met that have been, you know, in a bad car accident or have constant chronic pain. And so they're using marijuana to function. You know, they want to be able to go to work during the day but then sleep at night. And so they may have a regimen of different types of cannabis that they use. The field is is pretty diverse in terms of product choices, formats, and the consumer who could benefit from the products. But it's in its very, very early stages of, of development. You know, I know a lot of NFL players have been discussing using pot instead of opioid drugs I know a lot of people, including yours truly, like to bring an edible on an airplane instead of taking Ativan to help relax during the, for those of us that don't uh, fly without a lot of anxiety. Are, are there going to be any condition-specific things, or are those to date been prohibited by various state regulations? It depends. There are certainly with THC in the dispensaries, both recreational and medical, there are definitely products that are specifically designed for certain functions like sleep or pain or inflammation. And certainly there's topicals for uh, pain uh, that are quite effective. What has happened with the, I'll call it legal cannabis hemp industry. 
And by that, you're referring to what you can buy in a natural food store or a supplement store. Right. And many companies start out saying, hey, CBD is non-psychoactive. It must be a dietary supplement. Therefore, I can now sell products containing CBD as a dietary supplement. And a number of companies did so. And they all got warning letters with the FDA citing the fact that a CBD product, uh, I believe, to treat seizures um, in uh, development, and therefore now the product can now no longer be considered a dietary supplement for any indication. And what so it has to go through a whole different level of tests if they were to bring it to market with that claim, or they can just change the label claim and kind of have word-of-mouth education, correct? Yes. So you'll see CBD products and CBD combination products sold in dispensary, in dispensaries. However, um, it, you'll, you'll also see CBD only or, or, or non-psychoactive cannabis products sold in health food stores, but it's labeled as hemp, a hemp extract, a hemp, uh, and you can kind of tell by the price point, um, you know, whether or not it's, it's an efficacious product and, and certainly, uh, the, the way that, um, you, you're educated about it is is through word of mouth and and to some extent social media. The the FDA can't control social media, although a company also can't promote testimonials. There's a whole other uh, regulatory system overseen by the FTC, the the Federal Trade Commission, which is is about making claims about products. It's just it's just a really complex market. But from a Manufacturing standpoint, there's a lot of regulation, and getting a marijuana license carries a lot of responsibility in, in terms of providing essentially a drug product in a food form, which is very difficult. On the other hand, a lot of regulation is is slowing the development of this industry, and it is primarily driven by the concern about competing with pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, the cost of introducing a pharmaceutical drug is astronomical. It can be in the hundreds of millions of dollars with all the uh, clinical testing and approvals that you have to go through, and and somewhat rightly because com you know drug companies have made that level of investment, they don't like to see somebody come out with a product that can do the same thing and you know sell for a lot less and and not have to go through those kinds of controls. Um, on the other hand, there's a lot of natural products dietary supplements and cannabis products, which work better than uh, pharmaceutical drugs and are much uh, much less expensive to use. I mean, my, my nurse practitioner, you know, actually spoke about alternatives to statins uh, for cholesterol, you know, that included niacin and red yeast rice and other natural products to try first uh, because of the cost of statin drugs, and there's also some concerns about side effects to the liver and that sort of thing for some of the statins. So I think it's becoming more accepted for the medical profession to recommend some things be tried before pharmaceutical drugs. But as we've seen with the opioid crisis, cannabis has such promise for things for pain 
uh, that it's it's really uh, it, it really has a lot of opportunity. Unfortunately, it's competing with a very large and um, powerful drug lobby. Mary Maury, food scientist. Mary, uh, if people want to learn more about you, how do they do that? They can they can go to my LinkedIn profile. Unfortunately, I don't have a website right now, but uh, you can you can find me. I'm, I've got a Facebook page. I've got a, a LinkedIn page. And the reason Mary doesn't have a website is she doesn't need one. She's in high <laughs> demand across a wide array of food, beverage, and uh, uh, other manufacturers. So, Mary, thanks again. You go to my head And you linger like a haunting refrain And I find you spinning round in my brain Like the bubbles in a glass of champagne